Would you pray with me? Lord God, we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. So today, O oh God, we pray that you would speak to us through these words of Scripture, that we would be fed by the very life of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. Our Scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Hear now the word of the Lord. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. He said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. When the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Gracious and holy God, I pray now that you would pour your Holy Spirit through me, that these words might truly become your living word to your people. And I pray that you would open up each of our hearts and minds that we might receive that word exactly in the place that we need to hear it. For we pray this in the name of our risen and reigning Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Well, as many of you know, there are few things I enjoy more in life than a good dinner party. To sit around the table with good friends, good food, and of course, good wine is to me a little snapshot of heaven. And one of the reasons I love Jesus so much is that one of his favorite images for the kingdom of heaven was a banquet. And as you read through the Gospels, we frequently find Jesus either participating in or talking about a dinner party. Clearly, Jesus was a man after my own heart. Now, in his culture, and often still in ours, the ultimate dinner party was the wedding reception. I mean, typically, the entire village would be invited. In fact, it was often the biggest event of the entire year in the village, and the celebration could go on for a whole week. And in a culture where hospitality mattered more than just about anything, people worked very hard and went to great expense 
to make sure that everything went just right. Their honor depended on it. Now in our text this morning, Jesus and his disciples are at a wedding in the town of Cana, which was about nine miles from his hometown of Nazareth in Galilee. Now, this was likely the wedding of a relative of some sort, since Jesus' mother Mary was also there and helping out in the kitchen. Now, everybody was having a good old time. Their bellies were full. The band had the place hopping. Nobody was thinking about their problems or all the work that they had to do. Now, it was a, a moment of great joy and hope for the future, a brief respite from the harsh realities and disappointments of life. But then the unthinkable happens. They run out of wine. Now the rabbis used to say, without wine there is no joy. And to that all I can say is, amen. Now, in this culture, a host would always put out an an overabundance of food and wine for his guests. Some of you who've been to Israel have experienced that. For to run out of anything would would be a a horrific embarrassment and an unbearable shame. And in this case, for the groom and his family. People would talk about that wedding for years, maybe even generations, and not because the bride was just so beautiful. There are few things that could strike fear in the hearts of someone in this culture, like putting on a great feast and someone telling you you're out of wine. It was social suicide. You might as well be told that your life is over. The truth is, there are times in all of our lives when it seems as if the wine has run out and hope is hard to come by. Sometimes the wine runs out on our marriages or our friends, and something that started off so wonderfully ends in such heartache and disappointment or maybe simply in death. Other times, the wine runs out on our good health and suddenly things take a turn for the worse, or, or on our jobs and we suddenly find ourselves struggling to find our place in the world and to make ends meet. Sometimes, the wine even runs out on our faith when God does not act in the way that we hope or expected Him to. And I have to admit For my family, we are struggling with the reality that the wine is quickly running out of our time in Swickley. I wonder, where in your life has the wine run out? Well, the wine had certainly run out of this wedding in Cana. And Mary realizes this before the host or any of the guests become aware. 
And she goes to Jesus and says, they're out of wine. Now, we don't know for sure what exactly Mary was expecting Jesus to do about this. Maybe she was simply stating the facts on the ground. You're not going to believe this, Jesus. They're out of wine. Or maybe she was saying it with an evil eye because Jesus' rowdy disciples had enjoyed far more than their fair share of the goods, and now the party was on the brink of disaster. Or maybe she was simply pleading with him to do something about it, not even really knowing what he could do. Or maybe, maybe she did know. And maybe she wanted her special eldest son to put on a good public show to justify to her family and to the community why he had left his mother and his bill-paying carpenter's job to go become an itinerant preacher. Whatever it was, Jesus responds to her by saying, woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. Now, at first, this sounds kind of harsh, doesn't it? Addressing his mother as woman. But it's actually not nearly as disrespectful as it sounds. It was formal, however, kind of like the French madame. And it did create some distance between them, as if Jesus was trying to remind his mother that his primary concern was fulfilling his father's will and plan. Then Jesus says to her, literally in the Greek, what to you and to me? Now, this is actually a Middle Eastern idiom that can have uh, several varying meanings depending on the context. It can mean quite simply, buzz off, or your problem is not my concern, leave me out of it. But it can also mean, in the words of William Barclay, don't worry, you don't quite understand what's going on here. Leave things to me, and I will take care of them in my own way. And whatever it was that Mary was expecting Jesus to do, she accepted his response. And she turns to the servants and says, do whatever he tells you. In an act of great faith and discipleship, she lets go of her hopes and expectations and her need to be in control, and she places everything into the hands of Jesus, trusting that He will work all things together for good. Not my will, but Thy will be done. And that kind of faith is always irresistible to Jesus. Now, standing nearby were six large stone water jars that were used for the Jewish purification ritual. They each held 20 to 30 gallons of water. They were huge. And in many ways, those jars represented the old religion of Israel that had to make way for the new thing that God was doing in Jesus. They stood for religion as duty, 
for religion that's always looking back at the way things used to be, for religion that's just going through the motions and checking off boxes, you know, baptism, check, confirmation, check, married in a church, check, attended Christmas Eve and Easter, check, let's not forget Mother's Day, check. But be very sure, there is no wine to be had in that kind of religion. So Jesus tells the servants to fill up those jars with water, and then to take some to the chief steward, who was the person the family had shown great honor to by asking him to manage the party on their behalf. And by the time it got to him, that ordinary water had been transformed into wine. And the steward was amazed because the wine was extraordinary, far better than anything they had been drinking up to that point. That's what Jesus does. He takes ordinary things and makes them extraordinary. He takes our ordinary gifts and skills, our ordinary resources, our ordinary experiences, our ordinary lives, and by a miracle of grace, he transforms them into extraordinary instruments of the kingdom of God but only those who see through the eyes of faith are able to recognize it. Notice, most of the people at this party had no idea what actually happened. They just thought that the best wine had been saved for last, and a whole lot of it, about 800 bottles worth. The groom was surely at a total loss. But Mary and the disciples knew, and they recognized the true host of the feast as his glory was revealed through this ordinary moment, this extraordinary moment in this ordinary wedding in Cana, and they believed. You see, what what differentiates Christians from the rest of the world is not that God gives more good gifts to us than he gives to everyone else. I mean, experience alone proves that that's not true. And as we heard earlier, the Bible makes it very clear that the sun shines and the rain falls on both the just and the unjust. God showers his grace upon all people and everyone at that party got to enjoy the good wine. No, what what makes Christians different is that we know the one from whom all blessings flow, the true host of the party of life who takes empty vessels and empty lives and he fills them with new life and new possibilities. Jesus enters into our ordinary moments 
into our successes and our failures, our joys and our sorrows, our hopes and our despairs. And in his presence, ordinary things become extraordinary. What was empty becomes filled. What was lost becomes found. What was hopeless becomes hopeful. What was dead becomes alive again. Because with Jesus, all things are possible. And as long as he is with us, the best is always yet to come. That's why as hard as it is for me to admit... I don't think this story is actually about the wine. (laughs) Or that, that when life is tough, God will always bail you out, wonderful as that might seem. Remember, John describes this miracle as a sign. And the purpose of a sign is to point beyond itself to something greater. And often in in the Old Testament, one of the most consistent images used to describe the abundance of God's coming kingdom was overflowing wine. And so I think what this, this miracle, what this sign is trying to point us all towards is the recognition that in the person of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God has already come among us, overflowing with extravagant grace that has the power to take ordinary things and ordinary people and ordinary churches and make them into something extraordinary. And if you are able to see that, if you can believe, then even when the wine in your life runs out, there is always a reason for hope. You know, there have been a lot of good days here at SPC over these last 10 years. A lot of good wine has been shared, both figuratively, the wine of the kingdom of the gospel, and literally, the wine of the wine store. So much good work has been done for the kingdom of God, and it has been It's been my great privilege to be a part of that. But so often when a pastor leaves, it's easy to start thinking that the best days are now behind us, that only harder days lie ahead, that it was good while it lasted, but the wine in this party has run out. But because we know the true host of the gospel party that has been going on here these last 10 years, and his name is not Kevin Long. We can live with the faith and the trust that the good days are not finished. For as long as this church continues to faithfully proclaim 
and faithfully live the gospel of Jesus Christ in grateful response to God's love. As long as you continue to live together as a church family, to grow as disciples of Jesus, and to serve together in Christ's mission in this world, as long as you remain focused on the risen Savior who makes all things new and who continues to take ordinary things and to make them into extraordinary signs of his presence and grace, then you can live with the sure and certain hope that the best days are still yet to come. After all, the risen Savior is hosting an extravagant feast for all those who have eyes to see, for those who believe. For that great banquet in heaven, the marriage feast of the Lamb of God who was slain but now lives has already begun. And Jesus is inviting you to join the party by getting more involved in this church, by making worship and devotions a greater priority, by spending time in prayer seeking God's will for your life and this church rather than your own, and by investing your time and your talents, and your treasure in what the risen Savior is doing in and through this wonderful congregation. There is no greater investment that you could make in this world. And through those ordinary acts of faithfulness, the risen Savior is inviting Swickley Presbyterian Church to discover the extraordinary future filled with hope that he has waiting for you on the road ahead where the wine of the kingdom continues to flow with abundance. And Jesus is just dying to give you a taste. And you can be very sure he always serves the good stuff. Amen.